Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. Reading today comes from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, may your word live in us. Thank you, Rob. Shall we pray? Lord, may your words speak to us this morning. May we hear the message which you have brought us to hear. May it be your voice we hear, your words that are spoken. May we find in what is said something which is relevant and leads us to lives of greater faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. 
To give a sermon on service or serving God can be difficult because as we look across the congregation, there are many people who are faithfully serving God. There are so many things being done by so many people and often they are done quietly. So nobody actually even knows that they are happening. That they are happening. It's also difficult because I know that while someone may not be serving in the traditional sense of the word in, in terms of the church, there are many who have faithfully served throughout their lives and reached a point where they can no longer do so. And so right up front, I want to acknowledge that type of service and to acknowledge the many, many, uh, the lifetime of service that so many people in this congregation um, have done, the kind of service that they have willingly given to God. And in acknowledging it, let me say that the point of this sermon isn't to be a finger-pointing exercise or something that's designed to make you feel bad. It is rather about the nature of service itself. And I hope that as we look at the nature of service, we'll be challenged about the way we think of serving God and the service we give to God. But when sermons are given on, on serving God, it's often in the context of there's stuff to do and we need people to do it. They can often fall into this category of trying to make people feel guilty. Nicky Gumbel uses a, an illustration where he says, when it comes to work getting done in the church, churches are often like rugby games, where 30 people desperately in need of a rest are being watched by 30,000 desperately in need of the exercise. He then followed it up by saying that uh, very often where there's a volunteer organization like the church, you end up with a, a kind of an 80-20 principle um, working itself out, which means basically that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Now, that might be true in some churches. There might be an element of truth in those statements in some churches. But, but I don't think it's the way to, to approach sermons on serving God. I don't believe that God wants us to serve Him because we feel guilty about it or we get guilted into, into service. Just like parents don't want their children to do stuff around the house because we've begged them and told them how much we're always doing for them. We don't go around to our children and say, you know, I did this and I've sacrificed this and do you know how much money you've cost me and you should at least be a little bit grateful by taking out the trash without me asking or mowing the lawn with a smile on your face or doing the dishes without me having to beg. Do you ever do that? My kids aren't even in this service. It's a waste of time. They left, but they should have, should have given the sermon before the kids left. I don't believe that... Um, that God wants us to serve Him because we feel guilty about it. Just like I don't want my kids to do things around the house because I make them feel guilty. I want them to do it because they say, gee, Dad, I love you. Gee, Mom, I love you. I see how busy you are. Can I do this? Can I, can I do this because I love you? I think God wants us to serve Him because we love Him because we recognize what he has given to us. The servant, the parable of the servants and the bags of gold, in other words, uh, can be used in many different ways to teach many different things. But this morning, I want to use it in the most simplest way of using what God has entrusted us with 
to be a blessing in the community, to build up the work that he wants for the, for the uplifting of his kingdom. He wants us to serve him because we are thankful and grateful for what he has done. He wants us to serve him because we want other people to experience the joy and the love and the wonder of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We, he wants us to serve him because we want others to know what it means to live life with the companionship of a God who cares through every single moment. As I said in the beginning of the, of the uh, service, we are in the middle of a sermon series on what it means to be committed to God, on focusing on preparing ourselves to make our covenant prayer, which we renew our commitment. And as we renew that commitment, we are saying, God, I understand that, that by saying this prayer, I'm committing to things like worship and prayer and service and a few others that we will look at in the coming weeks as well. And we do it near the beginning of the year because it's a perfect time to say, as I enter into this year, I want to end up closer to God than I was at the beginning. I want this year to be one in which I grow in my relationship. As we look at a baptism service, what a beautiful time to, to look at that sense of commitment where parents are saying, we're committing this child, this life to God, ourselves, our family, to his ways. Service is one of the things that we do to be faithful to God. It's about how we can, how we can um, show and, and express our love to him. I don't ever think that God's intention is to make us feel guilty. I don't ever think that God wants us to do these things uh, because we feel bad. That is not the point of the sermon. I don't, I don't even think guilt is an emotion that God likes to deal in. The intention is to highlight how we can respond in love to Christ through serving Him. And when we talk about service, it could mean a great d many different things to different people. I love the story of the little boy. It's a well-known story. If you've heard it before, laugh anyway to make me feel good. It's a, the well-known story of a little boy and his mum who are walking around the church and they come across a, a big fancy plaque on a wall that's got the gold lettering, the names and the dates and, and it's in a really prominent place in the sanctuary. And the little boy says, Mum, what is this board with all the names on? And the mum in a hushed and respectful and somber tone says, Oh, you know... Son, these are the names of all of the men who died in the service. And the little boy goes, oh, was it the morning service or the evening service? That's not what I mean when I talk about service. I think service is best defined as the use of God-given talents, resources, and abilities for the accomplishment of God-given goals in the building of his kingdom in this world. I'll say that again. Service is best defined as the use of God-given talents and resources and abilities for the accomplishment of God-given goals in the building of his kingdom in this world. It's about us being the hands and the feet of God, doing things uh, for him in an expression of our love. And the reason that Nicky Gumbel makes that illustration is because often that work of service happens most effectively through the church as people use their gifts and abilities to do things like pastoral care or teach in the Sunday school or work on the property committee or serve morning tea or a whole host of other things that are too numerous to mention. If you want to know all the ways that you can serve in this church, stick around for the congregational meeting at 11 and you'll see some of the things that uh, the incredible works of service that happen 
in this church, the different avenues that people can be involved in. But there is often a danger within the church of thinking that everyone else is doing this stuff, so I don't really need to be involved. And that's not true. That's where the, the rugby or football illustration from Nicky Gumbel is helpful. We do need to be involved. We should be involved because to serve God is an expression of our love. It's an expression of our love for Him. Which brings me to the first point of what service is. It is based on love. It is based on love. We can sometimes miss that big picture element of what service is. Sometimes in the, the hustle and bustle of what has to get done, we forget that it is based on love, that that is the bigger picture. I heard a, a lovely story of a man and his wife from the United States. They had always dreamed of owning a cattle ranch and had finally saved enough money as they retired to buy their dream place in Texas. And uh, they bought their ranch and, and their son came out to, he flew out to, to visit his parents and to see how they had settled. And when he got there, he, he couldn't believe the name of the ranch. In fact, he, had, he burst out laughing at the size of the, of the sign that was needed at the entrance of the driveway to show the name of this ranch. And he said to him, Dad, why have you called your ranch this awful name? And his father said, Well, son, your mother and I, we have wanted this for so long. And in our heads, we each had an idea of what the name of the ranch would be. And we never actually discussed that. And so when we finally bought the thing, we actually couldn't come to a compromise. Uh, and so we just had to combine both names. And that's why we have settled on the Triple Horseshoe Lucky Diamond Burton Jenner Ranch. And the son said, that's great, Dad. That's great. Where are all the cows? He said, oh, I'm sorry, son. None of them survived the branding. <laughs> Losing sight of, a, of the bigger picture. The parable that Jesus tells of the servants has a bigger picture. The first two saw the bigger picture, the third didn't. And that picture revolves around the trust of the master, the privilege of having been gifted and an opportunity to do something for him. The beauty of being trusted with something so important. The, the interesting thing is that the master would have had many servants, but he entrusts these three give to them this privilege there are other parables that speak in similar terms of value and privilege of of the kingdom the bigger picture is one of of being used by God of God saying to us my dear child I have given you abilities for the building of my kingdom what a privilege it is for us to put them into action throughout our lives we receive blessings from God Throughout our lives, we are, we are shown a grace that we don't deserve. We are given the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are given forgiveness for things that we have struggled with for years and asked for forgiveness over and over and over again. And God reaches into our lives without us even really thinking about it and says, my child, the blessing of my presence, the beauty of my forgiveness, the depth of my love, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit are all yours, all freely given long before we prove ourselves. Why wouldn't we want to respond in love? Why wouldn't we want to take what we have been given and use it to express that love to other people, to let others know that same beauty that we receive? It always strikes me when I read this parable 
that the master actually doesn't leave an instruction. Jesus doesn't record that he gives an instruction for them to do anything with the money other than to care for it. But the expectation is there. I mean, this, like I said, the master had many servants, and so these three get entrusted with something, and they know it warrants a response. They know it's meant that there is a demonstration of thankfulness that is needed. Now, I said the, core, the intention of the sermon isn't to cause guilt, and it certainly isn't, but it is to challenge us to think about what it is we have received from God, not just in abilities or time or money, but how is he has given of himself. And to think of our willingness then to be involved in God's work and our desire to accomplish the purposes of God's kingdom in this world. Sermons on service aren't about a minister telling us about how much work there is to do and, and how much is or isn't getting done. It's about our willingness to respond in love to the beauty of what God has given to us in our lives. We respond because he's touched us and because he's blessed us. And we want to express that love. Service is based on love. You know, ever since I was small, it was drummed into us, and uh, it may well be the same for you, that if you go out to somebody for a meal or you're invited to a place, um, don't go empty-handed. That was something our parents just seemed to drum into us. Don't, don't ever go empty-handed. And so consequently, if ever I get invited out for a meal, we always take something, either to contribute to the meal or, or even if it's a, some flowers or some chocolates for the host, just something so you don't rock up empty-handed. It's not that that is expected. It's not that the person wants it or demands it. But it's just a way of you going to a place recognizing you have done something beautiful for me, and this is just a little something for me to express that thankfulness to your kindness and love. When we serve a God whose kindness and love knows no limits, our response in serving him should know no limits either, because our service isn't based on what has to get done. It's based on a love for God. But secondly, if service is based on love and God loves everyone, then we are all called to serve. There was a little boy named Antonio, a true story, a little boy named Antonio whose voice was very high and squeaky. And he tried hard, but he never made it past the first round in the tryouts for the Cremona Boys Choir. He loved music, though, but he was absolutely no good at it. In fact, when he took violin lessons, <laughs> the neighbors signed a petition and handed it to his parents that persuaded them to stop him taking violin lessons because it just sounded so awful. But Antonio wanted to make music. The boys teased him, gave him a hard time, because for this young man, the only thing that he seemed any good at was, um, was whittling. Do you know what whittling is? Or, or wood carving, you know, the pocket knife and a piece of wood. That was the only thing he seemed to be any good at. But when Antonio got a little bit older, he developed that talent and he started to serve as an apprentice to a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving and his hobby then became his craft and he worked patiently and faithfully. And by the time he died, he left over 1,500 violins, each that bore a label with his name that read Antonio Stradivarius. Today they are the most sought after violin in the world and they sell for anywhere, get this, up to $45 million. 
When I read this uh, illustration in preparing the sermon, I thought that doesn't sound right. That's, that's too high an amount. Let me, let me get onto Google and find out if I can find a violin, a Stradivarius, what they would cost. And, and uh, so I did, and I jumped onto Google. It didn't take me all that long, and I found a website with Stradivarius violins and dedicated to each one of their numbers or whatever it is. And I found this gem of a line. It says, not all Stradivarius violins are expensive. Some have only sold for $2 million. Only $2 million, that's all. Antonio couldn't sing or teach, but his responsibility was to use his ability, his whittling ability of carving wood. And today, his violins still make the most beautiful music in the world. There's a beautiful saying that says, our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to Him. It goes on to say, you are the only person on earth who can use your ability. You ever thought about that? You're the only person on earth who can use your ability. In the parable, the master was angry because the servant had buried what he had given. Had he even given it to the bankers and had a little bit of interest, it would have been okay. There is so often where, where we, we don't think of ourselves as having much to give. We have this kind of thing in Western culture, there's, a, there's an understatedness of what our abilities or our gifts are. And we often think, well, we don't have anything good enough to offer. But we do. We do. Everyone is called to serve. And sometimes it may just be that what is required is an availability or a listening ear or a loving touch or a kind word or an ability to pray. Every single person has something to offer in serving God. When we offer ourselves to Him, it's amazing what He does with our availability. Back in South Africa, a couple of years before we left to come to Australia, uh, we had a, Debbie and I decided to take up surfing as a sport. And we thought because we were a bit old, we should um, get a proper surfing coach. And we, we looked one up and we found this surfing coach who, uh, he had a, a car that lived, I think, at the beachfront. I don't know where, where he stayed, but a typical surfer, long blonde hair, very laid back, never in a hurry, never on time. You know, the kind of thing that when, you, when you're 40, starts to irritate you. And uh, he was just so casual about everything. But, but he, we found out in the course of our coaching, he had asked me what I do and, and, um, and that he too was a Christian. And so we'd go for our surfing lessons once a week and try and go and practice as often as we could. And whenever we'd go practice, he would, he would come along and swim up to us on his board, usually because I think I looked like I was drowning and he wanted to see if I was okay. But the one day he came up uh, paddling on a board and he had a young boy uh, with him, maybe not so young, maybe about 16 years old. And this kid was actually paddling on the, on the coach's nice new surfboard. But um, as he came, he, he introduced him to us. But this, this, this boy could hardly speak. He was severely um, socially stunted, not, uh, not mentally challenged in any way, but, but socially just so far behind. Any kind of social etiquette or norms or, or interaction was just not there. And he brought him over because he knew we would be friendly, uh, friendly to him. But, but the coach then told us afterwards that, um, that actually 
He had been driving along the beachfront one day and, and saw this kid just lying in a corner, in the, like huddled in the fetal position um, on the pavement, obviously completely down and out. And so he stopped the car and he said to him, hey kid, would you like to have a free surfing lesson? And he had been working with him ever since. He then found out that the kid was socially stunted because he had been abandoned in hospital by a mother who had had him and had disappeared. The mother had literally gone into the hospital, delivered the baby, said, I'm going to the bathroom, and left. This little baby left in the hospital, completely abandoned. He was put into some kind of, of care home, but um, his earliest memories were, were not good and, and ran away. He ran away at some horrifically young age. He then went, um, he, he never went to school. He barely learned to speak. You can imagine no, no parents, no parental input. He lived his life on the streets. He couldn't read or write. He basically fought for his life day in and day out on the inner city uh, streets of Durban until a blonde-haired surfing coach stopped next to him on the side of the road and offered him a free surfing lesson. What the coach didn't realize was he'd have to teach him how to swim first. He had never even been swimming. But by the time we left, a couple of years later, this young boy was speaking, was interacting with people. He had come out of his shell. He had experienced love. He uh, was enrolled in a night school for people who were behind in their, in their schooling. And get this, he now gave surfing lessons. He actually gave surfing lessons. By the time we left, he was surfing 10 times better than I, than I still can't surf properly. And the surfing coach, this typical surfer, you would think he would only ever be interested in waves. I'd, I deeply suspected that, that our coaching sessions were more about him finding a wave than me. But as he drove along, all he offered to God was a, was an, a talent that he had and an ability, an availability and God takes it and uses it and changes a life, completely changes a life. We are called to serve and we are gifted for it. Which brings me to the last thing I want to say about service and that what, what we have been gifted with is not ours. It's not ours. Service is based on love. Everyone is called to serve, but what we have isn't ours. The servants in the parable knew exactly who those bags of gold belonged to. There was no doubt whose money that was. It belonged to the master. It didn't own a thing, and neither do we. We will one day leave this earth with exactly the same that we entered it with, which is absolutely nothing. What we have belongs to God. What we've developed belongs to Him. And the only way that it is ever going to be useful is if we give it away. It's the only way it is useful. The only way to make it eternal is to share it out. I was watching an interview with Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. They were on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert a few nights ago. And um, Bill Gates has now become a trillionaire. Can you believe it? A trillionaire. He is the second richest man in the world to Jeff, Jeff Bezos, I think, who owns Amazon, um, the Amazon empire. And Stephen Colbert began the interview by saying, oh, wow. Welcome and con congratulations on your being a trillionaire. Congratulations on being the second richest man in the world. And Bill Gates said to him, yes, I'm trying to change that. 
And Stephen said, oh, are you going after, you're going after Jeff Bezos, are you? you know? And Bill said, no, I'm trying to find ways to give it away. I don't want to be the second richest man. I'm, I want to get rid of it. And if you know anything of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they do an incredible amount of work and give away an insane amount of money. The only way to make anything eternal is to give it away. The only way to make our abilities eternal is to give it away. I'll end with the story of a, an Australian monk from New South Wales who, when Mother Teresa was alive and she came to visit Australia and was booked for various talks and things, I don't know if she ever made it to Queensland, but the New South Wales was the final stop on her Australian tour before she headed off to, uh, to PNG. And um, this monk was assigned to be the gopher, the personal assistant for her, to get her whatever she needed to, to be around for whatever needs she may have. And he thought this is just the best thing ever. He's going to have so many deep conversations with this wonderfully spiritual woman and, and he couldn't wait to get her input into his life and into his spirituality. And uh, much to his dismay, during the visit, although he was always around her, she was always busy. There was always another person to meet, another talk to give, or a rest that she would need. And he never actually got to have a, a decent conversation with her. The day came for her to be leaving, or the, it was the next day, and, and he, he took hold of her and said, Mother Teresa, please, if I pay my own airfare to, to PNG, may I, may I sit next to you on the plane so that I can just talk to you and learn from you? Mother Teresa looked at him. She cocked her head to the side, and in a very questioning voice, she said, you have enough money for an airfare to PNG? And he said, yes, yes, I do. He said, well, take that money and give it to the poor. That'll teach you more than anything I could say to you on that airplane. The point being that, again, no matter what we have, the way it makes a difference is when we give it away. Service is based on love. We are all called to serve because what we have isn't even ours. And I pray that as we look to make our covenant with God, and as we commit to a, to a faithful way of living in, our, in deepening our spirituality this year, that we will look at how we serve God, the things we do, and that that will become part of our everyday life in who we are. I'll tell you one way that you can begin even now. I'm actually looking for people who will pray for the life, work, and witness of this church on a regular basis. One of the things we do have in our church is people who have time on their hands, people who may not be able to get out and drive around and do the things that they used to, but may have an hour in the week. And I'm looking for a team of people who will commit, I will give a reflected thing to pray for every week to say, this week I'll be praying for the life and work and witness of our church. And if that's you, then come and chat to me. Or if you have other abilities, come and chat. Chat to one of the leaders. There are ways to serve God that uh, would really build His kingdom to the work and witness of our church. May God bless us as we seek to be faithful in service. Amen.